So we are back in Ephesians after our break last week to uh, have a guest message from Steve Bell. Um, If you weren't here last week, uh, we took a week off to hear Steve share some of his story about how God has worked in his life. And if you didn't hear that, I really encourage you to find it on our podcast or on YouTube or on Facebook um, because you don't want to miss that. That was uh, really good. And it was only 18 minutes long, right? So you can just, you can listen to it fast. (laughs) Oh, you guys are going to wish he was back up here this morning. Let me tell you, his passage. (laughs) So, uh, yes, we're back in Ephesians. And uh, if you want to follow along in your own Bible, open up to where we left off two weeks ago, which is chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Chapter 5, verse 3. Now let me remind us of where we left off. Back at the start of chapter 4, we cross the halfway point in the book where Paul shifts from talking about who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ to talking about then how we should live in light of that. And back at the start of chapter 4, he said, I urge you to live lives worthy of the calling that you have received. And over the last couple weeks, we've been looking at what he says about what that looks like to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And he's going to keep talking about that in today's passage, and he's got a lot more to say. So let's not waste any time. Let's get into it. Uh, Pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Uh, We thank you for the privilege of being able to worship together and to fellowship. Uh, We thank you for this chance to look at your word, and we pray that you would help us to attend to you, Uh, that that your spirit would speak to us through this to our hearts, Lord. We invite you to work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Starting in verse 3, chapter 5, verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart 
to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alright, so a lot to talk about there, but we're going to begin with a little bit of a review. So remember, Paul has been talking about how the Gentiles have been welcomed into the family of God. They have been welcomed in without being required to follow the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, which means they're welcomed in even if the guys haven't been circumcised, even if they never offer a sacrifice at the temple, even if they don't follow any of the dietary laws, they are still welcomed in. But Paul has been clarifying that this doesn't mean that anything goes. In the family of God, there's still family rules. There's still house rules. And here's how we should think about this. The law was a tool to help the nation of Israel love God and love their neighbors as themselves in their time and place and context. Now, we are still called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. That hasn't changed, right? But now we live in a time where we have something better than the Mosaic Law to help us to do that. We have the example of Jesus and the forgiveness that we have through him, and we have the Holy Spirit who he sends to dwell in us and to transform us and to help us to better love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, we live in what's called the New Covenant. That's why every time we do communion here, I raise up the glass, right, and I say, this is the New Covenant in Jesus' blood, right? When Jesus offered his body and his blood on the cross, he inaugurated a new, new age in human history, which is the age of the Holy Spirit. So we are more capable of loving God and loving our neighbor because of this access we have to the Spirit through what Jesus Christ has done. Now, as you may remember from the passage we looked at two weeks ago, as Christians, we have an old self and a new self, right? The old self is the version of us where the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in us, and the new self is the version of us that is empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. And this side of heaven, there's always a war going on in us between the old self and the new self. And in the last passage, Paul used an analogy like putting on clothes to describe what we're supposed to do with the new self. We are supposed to put it on, which means it's not like we have to buy it ourselves or find it. The clothes have been provided by God, but we still have to choose to, metaphorically speaking, get those clothes out of the closet, get them off the hanger, and actually put them on. And so Paul's been talking about what it looks like when we put on the new self and put off the old. So let's look more closely at what he says this week. First, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. A very important part of how we honor God is how we manage our sexual desires. This is true throughout the New Testament. In the early second century, when the church was less than a hundred years old, uh, somebody wrote about what the Christian community was like. 
And one of the things they said was they have a common table, but not a common bed. That's from the epistle to Diognetus. No one's sure who wrote it, but written in the second century AD, talking about the early Christian movement. And what they were saying was they're unusually generous and hospitable, but they're also unusually monogamous. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They were prudes by the standard of the Roman Empire, for sure. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned some of the practices that were common in the Roman Empire, right? Uh, prostitution, normal. Uh, sexual acts were sometimes part of pagan worship services. That was common. It was common for the men who were the heads of families to have slaves and then to see those slaves as for sexual activity if they want. And even if they're married, it doesn't matter. Um, that was just normal. One commentary I looked at said it was common for older men to molest boys without consequence. And that was just sort of seen as, you know, part of, part of them growing up. Just the way it is. And so what Paul said is, it doesn't matter what your culture regards as normal. Among you, there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality. You're not supposed to take your directions from the culture, you're supposed to take your directions from the Holy Spirit. Now typically our old selves are very uncomfortable with God putting limitations on this area of our lives. But it's important to recognize that those limitations are not there because God is some kind of killjoy. They're there because sexual immorality is incredibly harmful. It's harmful to individuals and it's harmful to a society as a whole. When people in a society seek sexual fulfillment outside of lifelong commitment, it wrecks havoc. This is something that is obvious. We can see this if we look at the world. I am confident that if you did a survey of all the people who come into a therapist's office, you would find that a large percentage of them are there because they have experienced some kind of sexual immorality and they are struggling to process that. You know, maybe it was a young woman who was molested and now she's dealing with panic attacks and she's, she's cutting herself because she doesn't know how else to deal with the pain that she's carrying. Maybe it's a man who is addicted to pornography and that has created a, a terrible rift in his marriage. Maybe it's a woman who's fallen into a depression because her husband has cheated on her and sought sexual fulfillment outside of their marriage and now that betrayal has left a deep, deep wound. Uh, maybe it's a, a young boy who's having behavior issues because dad disappeared, because dad ran off with another woman and now he's not around. Sexual immorality is at the root of so, so much deep, deep pain. It leaves people feeling used and betrayed and abandoned. 
It leaves kids without parents and it rips families apart. It's not a joke. Several years ago, our culture experienced something that's come to be known as the Me Too movement. It started in 2017 after uh, Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein was accused of severe uh, sexual misconduct, repeated sexual misconduct. And as the stories were shared about what he did, it, it caused this ripple effect where lots of other women were saying, hey, me too. I've experienced stuff like that in my workplace and, uh, and in other places as well. And what we saw in that moment was this collective outpouring of grief and anger. And, you know, obviously there was a greater percentage of women expressing that grief and anger, but there were men as well. Uh, and a lot of misconduct, sexual misconduct, was brought to light, and the pain associated with that was brought to light. Now, I know that uh, some people would, would argue that this, the movement got a little excessive, that it became too political, um, that it was a little too ruthless and presuming guilt and condemning certain people. And I think that there's validity to all of those critiques. But honestly, overall, I am grateful for that movement because I think it was a moment when our culture acknowledged whether it whether it meant to acknowledge this or not, that how we manage our sexual desires really, really matters. It matters a lot. And there's great pain when people allow themselves to be ruled by lust rather than by love. You know, that, that movement, it even helped to show uh, the validity of uh, verse 4 here, right? Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place. You know, one of the things that the, the Me Too movement revealed is how much people felt harassed and degraded and hurt by words, right? Not necessarily physical acts, but things that people said. Paul was way ahead of the Me Too movement on this, right? This kind of thing has no place among you. Now, I wish that the Me Too movement had gone so far as to say, well, I guess if we really want society to get healthier in this area, we need to return to the idea that sex is only appropriate in marriage, right? But, like I said, the old self, the self without the spirit, has a hard time with those kinds of limitations. But Paul says to us, as the church, among you, there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality. What is incredibly sad to me is that the Me Too movement had an offshoot, the Church Too movement. Because as stories were shared about abuse and harassment, many people in the, in the church started to say, I've experienced things like this in churches. And I'm not sad that people felt empowered to share those stories. I'm sad that they exist. I'm glad that they felt empowered to share them. But some of the things that have come out over the last few years are just heartbreaking. They're appalling. 
You know, first there was the abuse in the Catholic Church, which came to light, which I'm sure most of us are aware of. Recently, one of the biggest denominations in America, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, there was a third-party investigation into the way that they had handled things, and they found lots of abuse by leaders and cover-up of abuse. Personally, I've been heartbroken to find that some of the people that I looked up to and respected have been found to be in sexual misconduct. Ravi Zacharias, Bruxy Cavi, Jean Vinay. This is all very public. I'm not outing anybody. And if you haven't heard about any of this, I'm really sorry that you're hearing about it now. But I would rather you heard about it in a church than just hear the secular world talking about it. The damage done by church leaders who commit or excuse sexual abuse and harassment is just incalculable. That sort of thing destroys people's faith. That kind of hypocrisy plants this seed of doubt that is so hard to overcome. Paul needed to tell the Ephesian church, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. And the church today needs to hear that same exhortation. And I think we even need to hear what it says in verse 6. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, if you're feeling guilty this morning, I don't want you to take that verse as a condemnation. It's not a condemnation, but it is a warning. It's not a condemnation because God is ready and willing to forgive us. Remember a few weeks ago in chapter 4, Paul said, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Through Christ, forgiveness is available, okay? No matter what the sin. Don't forget that. But we shouldn't think that God's forgiveness means that people can be pimps and pornographers and predators and be close to the kingdom of God. No. We aren't close to the kingdom of God unless we are, as Paul puts it, walking in the way of love. And when our lives are characterized by immorality and impurity and greed, we aren't walking in the way of love. Right? Christ doesn't just want to forgive us of our sin. He also wants to free us from our sin. And, and Paul didn't want us to get complacent about being enslaved to sin. Anyway, sexual immorality, huge topic. Um, I, uh, I probably should have made it the only thing I covered in this message, but I didn't do that. So I recognize maybe something I've said has left you with questions or something I didn't say. Um, maybe uh, you feel stirred in your heart that you need to confess something to somebody. Um, maybe 
you, uh, you had something done to you and you, you need help processing it. And so I just want to say, number one, know that Keith and I are always willing to follow up, to talk, to process. That is what we're here for. We are happy to do that. Uh, if you want to talk, send me an email. We can arrange uh, getting together. Uh, two, if you, do, if you don't really want to talk to us, but you want to see a therapist, we can help you with a referral. And uh, number three, if you would like to talk to a woman rather than to Keith and I, uh, and you're a woman, would like to talk, speak to a woman, we can help with that too. Okay. So if you, if you have something on your heart and you feel the need to process and talk, I don't want you to just sit with that. Uh, I want you to feel like you have an opportunity to, to deal with that. Okay. So next fun topic that Paul talks about is drunkenness. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That word debauchery, it means a lack of restraint. And I don't think there's any of us here would, who would argue with what Paul is saying, right? We know that this is true, that when people get drunk, they lose their restraint. Uh, they say things that they would not ordinarily say. Sometimes angry things. Sometimes really hurtful things. Uh, sometimes they get very violent. They, sometimes they start riots and fights, right? Sometimes uh, they commit sexual immorality. Sometimes they get behind a wheel and they end up killing somebody. And so Paul is reminding us, don't get drunk. It's not appropriate for God's people. Don't be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. And you might remember that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, right? Alcohol leads to a loss of self-control when we drink too much, but being filled with the Spirit is the opposite. It leads to a restraint, a control of self. We are in mastery uh, over what we, what we do and say. Now, I know that for some people, just saying, don't get drunk, is too simplistic. Because if you are somebody who is an alcoholic, who has a real addiction, uh, you, you need more help than just, don't do that. Right? Uh, last Sunday, Steve talked about how his addictions just disappeared overnight. And that is such a beautiful, miraculous powerful story. But it is important for us to recognize that's not everybody's story. And I don't know why it's not the story for every Christian. That is a mystery that I can't resolve. There's a lot of mysteries I can't resolve. But I can tell you confidently that if you are a Christian who struggles with addiction, that God doesn't love you any less than he loves Steve. Steve would tell you that as well. If you struggle with addiction, when you read this verse, here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear that part of your following Jesus Christ is not giving up the battle against your addiction. Part of you following Jesus Christ is trusting that through the power of the Spirit, 
there is hope for you to overcome this addiction. It might not be easy. It might be something that you need to fight for your entire life. You might need support groups. You might need prayer. You might need accountability partners. But there is hope. You do not just have to resign yourself to being wrapped up in this chain for your life. And part of following Jesus is trusting that that is true and taking steps to find healing and freedom. Now, it's important to remember, the hope for overcoming is not because you have that power, but it is because the spirit dwelling in you is more powerful than the addiction. I mean, the spirit dwelling in you is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Trust that. Believe that. Next, Paul talks about music. Uh, that might seem like a strange thing to focus on next, but I don't know, I think it kind of fits, right? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. <laughs> Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Why does Paul jump to talking about music? I think it's because Paul knows the power of music to orient our hearts towards God. Now, I know not all of us have the same sensitivity to music, um, but generally speaking, music is very powerful. I know that for myself, I could be having a day where I feel very distant from God, where God just feels like this idea or abstraction or puzzle that I can't figure out, and then I hear the right combination of lyrics and melody, and it's like my heart cracks open, and all of a sudden I can feel the presence of God again, right? And all of my questions and, and, uh, and uh, concerns and lack of understanding just sort of melts away. Right? That's the power of music. There's, God has given this to us as a gift. And so Paul is saying, make use of that. You know, you might be struggling to find unity in, in your church. Uh, people may be struggling with temptations to immorality, sexual immorality, substance abuse, that sort of thing. Here's one of the ways that you combat it. Get together and sing. <laughs> I think it's good advice. So one of the ways that we put on the new self is by choosing to listen to the kind of music that helps us to do that. Right? So figure out what kind of music helps you to walk in the way of love, to seek after Christ, and put it on. Listen to it. Or if you can sing, sing it. All right, to finish up, let's go back to that section in the middle. Verse 8, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now notice, 
Paul doesn't say, you are in the light of the Lord, although that's assumed, right? But he says, you are light in the Lord. And, and what he's saying is that when you are in Christ, when you have put your faith in Jesus, you're not just supposed to be the recipient of righteousness, goodness, and truth, but now you're supposed to be a reflector of righteousness, goodness, and truth. So if you imagine the church being like a big disco ball where, you know, every piece of glass in it is a different person, the light of Christ is supposed to hit that disco ball and then it's supposed to reflect out everywhere, right? We are supposed to be lights in the Lord. So now Paul is going to say something about how we do that, about how we're lights in the Lord. So verse 11 have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, okay. Don't participate in the deeds of darkness, rather expose them. Makes sense? Now that leads to the question, well, what does it look like to expose the deeds of darkness? Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I hear that, I think of pointing out the darkness, right? Look at that evil over there. Isn't that awful? And this is probably, you know, like 20% of what happens on social media, right? People post an article or a video, and the whole point is to get everyone to go, oh, I'm disgusted by this wickedness. Look at this evil. Look at this stupidity. Look at this foolishness. So is that what Paul is saying that we're supposed to do? Well, I don't think so. Now, listen, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for naming evil and injustice, pointing it out and saying, this is wrong. I'm not saying that we're never supposed to do that. But I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here when he talks about exposing the deeds of darkness. Because what does he say immediately after saying expose them? He says, it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So like, wait a second, Paul, you said I'm supposed to expose the darkness, but I'm also not supposed to talk about it. What? That doesn't make sense. I think what Paul is saying is, you don't expose the darkness by going, hey, look at that darkness over there. You expose the darkness by being the light. Remember, the fruit of the light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. You cannot expose darkness simply by pointing and saying, look at the darkness, shame on that darkness. Everyone associated with that darkness should feel bad. You point out the darkness by showing a different way, by showing righteousness, truth, and goodness. And when people see real righteousness, truth, and goodness, then they, they realize, oh, this is darkness. Why would I prefer this? And then as they realize that, they are illuminated, right? And they become a light as well. So I think a lot of the time we get this wrong, how this works, about how we expose darkness. It's not just about mutual commiseration about how messed up everything is. It's by showing something different. It's by walking in the way of love. 
I'm reminded of a famous quote from Martin Luther King Jr. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Let's pray. Lord, once again, um, we're reminded that living up to the calling that we've received isn't easy, but it's good. Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in the way of love, to turn from sexual immorality, to turn from substance abuse, to turn from greed. Lord, help us to put off the old and put on the new. Lord, we want to be a light. We want to be like that disco ball that reflects your goodness, righteousness, and truth. Empower and free us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.